One Week Season. to the week 18 one week season weekend review show i am your host todd from pa and the party is over but yet we are here to give you our final summary and now let me bring in a man who is so glad not to hear nut jokes that he has embraced that the season is over mark garcia Mark, how are you? Oh, man, I would definitely prefer to have more nut jokes and have more season. <laughs> well, we still have the playoffs, and I know that um, Aaron announced a lot of great content that is still going forward through the end of the year. I know as a player, I will be using the first two weeks of the playoffs to at least hopefully make up for some of my losses for this year. Um, but I can't complain. I had a very good best ball year. Season long wasn't too bad as uh, as well, and we we reload and um, Mark. Um, my biggest takeaway from this year, the biggest thing that I never really fixed was tight. You know, and part of it was because I really wanted to be an MME player, but um, my note to self for next year is to tighten up those uh, player pools even more. Uh, it, again, it's just so frustrating to have so many things right and then yet not even get close. And I think the advantage of tightening up your player pools is, yeah, you're going to have some bad weeks, but I, I, I had them anyway. But you give yourself that much more chance when you do get uh, get it right. Um, so that's my big takeaway for the year. What's yours? <laughs> Probably on the other side of the spectrum. And it's, um, I was very successful in identifying game environments or situations that I wanted to attack heavily. Uh, in the, on the other hand, uh, I was very poor this year at getting the players right from those game environments. So um, obviously culminated in, what was it, week 17 with the Jamar Chase fiasco. Um, but that was kind of like a, a microcosm of my season uh, was was finding narrowing down where I wanted to attack very well, nailed the running back position almost all year, uh, which I'm super stoked about. And then um, just not getting the right pieces in the right game environment. So um, opening myself up to weight talent more than matchup uh, in those specific game environments that I highlight. Yep. And this week, um, you talked about the chalk build being the Cardinals. Um, why don't you explain that? Yeah, I mean, they had they literally had a player expected for 20% or more ownership at every single position. Um, and I just saw that game. And the Cardinals are already not a concentrated offense. And we've seen that even without DeAndre Hopkins in the lineup. Like, they're just not a concentrated offense. Um, so I limited my exposure from the Cardinals this week to James Conner only. I talked about AJ Green as one of those guys that would be the most optimal play to go to from a pass catcher, um, but I didn't end up going there. I, I basically just had like a handful of, of 
different rosters with exposure to James Conner. And then I stayed away from um, that side of the game almost entirely. And it was, again, just one of those, um, the field was overweighting certainty. Um, there really wasn't certainty on a non-concentrated offense in a game that's set up like that. Like, I don't care if they score 30 plus points. Um, I just am happy to try and find that type of production elsewhere uh, in a more concentrated offense. Yeah, for me, um, I went the other way and went heavy into Russell Wilson. I felt his ownership, you know, you and I have talked about it a number of times this year. One way that you can leverage is to take the side of the, you know, the, the, and I've mentioned it a lot of times for the more expensive stack to go off, you need the less expensive quarterback to have a big game. And with what, with what we know about Seattle, um, it has to be a spot where they're down most of the time for them to really unleash the Kraken. So I had, um, my, you know, um, Lockett and Metcalf were two of my highest three owned wide receivers. I had 20% uh, Russ. Um, I just didn't get enough Connor coming back. The, yeah. uh, the other, um, your first leverage spot was Alvin Kamara and Jonathan Taylor together. Obviously, that didn't work, but why was it um, such an important play for you? And would you know, do you think it was good process, bad process, or it just didn't work out? All right. So before we continue, my this week 18 slate, my um, how I was seeing the slate probably changed the most it has all season from Friday night when I'm riding the end around to. Sunday when games kick off. Um, I basically came into as like, that was the paying up times two at running back and not including Dalvin was one of the higher, like the easiest ways to gain leverage on this slate. And that remained true. Why I kind of moved away from that is it wasn't necessarily necessary for lack of a better term. It wasn't necessary this week because there were other high upside plays in that mid tier of running back that the field was not going to be on. James Conner started the week with like 25% expected ownership. He ended up coming in like 10%. So that, um, that changing dynamic. And, and if I had team, known that I probably would have stayed with my original 20 to 25% that the opto was looking for. Yeah. And I, I loved Deonta Foreman. I loved the kind of leveraging the Packers backfield situation. So those were two places where I ended up going heavily. I, I was heavy on Dylan. I paired him with, um, with Patrick, uh, what's his name? Patrick shit, whatever. Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. Patrick Taylor, the backup running back. Um, and it was just a, a, a case of, I could, leverage the field by sticking to the same uh, like mid tier in running back pricing without overexposing myself to limitations throughout the rest of my roster. Uh, if that makes sense by paying up times two at running back. It absolutely did. Um, from a perspective of ownership at running back, I um, I'll get there in a second. I, 
I ended up with 34% Donta Foreman, 26% uh, Taylor, 23% Montgomery, 23% Cook, 20% Taylor, 18% Pirine, which I didn't notice, um, 17% Elijah Mitchell, and 15% James Conner. So uh, not a bad mix, but, um, you know, it just uh, it just didn't get there. Yeah, it was uh <laughs> I was tilting Donta Foreman um was it in the second quarter when he gets tackled at like Got the, the touchdown. Inch, yeah, gets gets tackled at the inch yard line from a reception and then scores and there was uh what was it like illegal motion or some shit. Uh, it, it, was, it, it was an awful penalty too. Yeah, dude. So that was tilt. Um but yeah, the uh that was an interesting game environment for Foreman. I he was my favorite running back on the slate. Um, and of course I loved bringing him back with Brandon cooks, which I did. So that, uh, obviously did not, that was the thing that killed me, man. I had 15% Davis mills and almost exclusively with cooks. I didn't even consider almond donuts. Oh dude. I mean, he, he had the exact perfect, like things fall into place perfectly for him. Um, I, I, I only played two quarterbacks on the slate. It was Tom Brady and Davis mills. Um, and Brady put up 28 points. Mills put up 30. So um, nailed the, the, again, the game environments that I wanted to attack. But yeah, like if I had thrown just a, a bone at Danny Amendola, because I actually talked about him um, in the Oracle and then again on the Saturday pod as a player that was likely to see his snap rate increase because Chris Conley was going to be out. So it was likely to shift um nico collins to the perimeter and that would open up increased snap rates for amandola uh so i kind of was kicking myself at not um taking a stand there a little bit but yeah i was only brandon cooks from houston yeah i and and honestly i was a little burnt out um so i didn't do individual runs i did an overall run and you know that makes it much harder to stick in guys like danny amandola right yeah. Um, you know, when I when I do individual quarterback runs, I make sure that I put in, you know, at least 10 percent almond donuts. Um, but I didn't do that this week. And. Uh, all right. So you were on the Steelers and Ravens pass game during your article. Did you stay that way from the end? That was another one where it was a massive aha moment. And um I actually, I texted JM about it on Sunday morning. You mean morning. like that video from the 80s or 90s? Yes, yes, exactly Massive like that. aha moment. <laughs> but I, yeah, because I, I came to this realization that was like, there. although that game environment was one of the likelier ones, um, if it did blow up, like it was one of the easier ones to stack, um, that didn't necessarily mean that it was one of the likelier ones. Um, and I came to the realization that Pittsburgh was like leading the league in sacks coming into the week and Baltimore had surrendered like the second or the most sacks in the league. So that was one of those situations where I was like, holy crap, like the, the likeliest scenario is leading me to Pittsburgh defense and they're going to be extremely low owned. I think they ended up coming in with like 3% owned, something like that. Um, and so I actually went the other way with it, and I was 60% Steelers defense uh, at only 3K. Um, yeah, they were 3% owned in the Millie. Um, 
So that was a situation that I kind of just looked to leverage the field with the same line of thinking, but the I just ended up on the other side of it. Yeah, you were into AJ Green, but you know, he just he 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 was one of my most owned best ball guys. He was just too cheap for his expected role. And he paid off yeah. nicely for me. But I noticed as the season wore on, his effort didn't seem all that great. And also him and Kyler seemed to be on the uh, the other page a lot. And with his salary being where it was, I wasn't too interested in him. What did you see? Was it just a straight ownership play? It was basically a straight ownership play to begin with. And then um, another, you know, Sunday morning aha realization that James Conner, you know, noticing, noticing his trend in expected ownership coming down so much, I was like, well, that is the place to go. So I ended up with um, no other Cardinal exposure other than James Conner. Um, and the, the wide receiver that I actually went all in on, uh, I had 100% Marvin Jones this past week. Um, that worked out pretty well. He, 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 he finally did it for you. Yeah, buddy. I had so much of him in best ball and I was just like, this is the week dudes. Um, and another thing that I was texting JM about and that he actually said, because he was, he was asking me on Saturday night and then into Sunday morning, um, trying to clarify the IR rules, uh, particularly with respect to Dan Arnold, because he would have been coming back had he been activated. Um, into a prominent role on this offense priced at only 2,500. And that was super sharp. And I was eyeing him as well, but he ended up not being activated. And Marvin Jones in a, a game that JM and I both kind of felt like Jacksonville were likely to play this close. We had no idea they were going to win, you know, 15 and a half point dogs. Um, but we liked their chances of playing this game closer than the field was going to give credit for. Um, and I loved Marvin Jones. I played him with Jonathan Taylor. I played him naked from that game. Um, and his incentives that he was chasing just kind of tipped the scales for me. You know, he needed four catches for an extra half a million and he needed like 14 catches for another extra half million. So I really liked, um, Marvin Jones a lot, uh, this week. Got it. Got it. Um, we already talked about Davis Mills, uh, Brandon Cooks with Dante Foreman. Uh, you know, it didn't work, but I I think that that was a good one. You did talk about Marvin Jones. I ha- I had a decent amount of Treadwell. Um, I picked the wrong guy. Hilo, any last thoughts for the season? This season, I think, was a crash course for people that don't understand variance or didn't understand variance coming into it. Um, there was just so much variance induced, you know, after about week three or four, it was just like the variance party. And learning what that means, how to not shy away from it, but like leverage it and harness it and and put yourself in the best position to to realize, or I guess the best way to say it is put yourself in the best position to has to have variance work in your favor. So, um, that I think was the highlight of this year. Um, and I think is an area where I should probably pay a little extra attention to in, uh, in teaching in the off season. Yeah. DFS has definitely gotten harder. We did the best we could to get you guys to be better DFS players. Um, I've never had a year like this where I lost almost every week. Um, 
I can't say that I'm I'm disheartened, but I also can't say that I'm not ready for the off season and uh, really working hard at getting even better at best ball, uh, where I did have a good bit of success this year. Um, and and I I think my big takeaway overall from the season is, you know, roster good players, but also be open to guys who are good players who have obstacles in front of them. Uh, Cooper Cup, um, I felt his knees were an obstacle. Lenny Fournette, it was the three-headed monster, which I normally like to avoid. But I do feel, Mark, going forward, that that I think you have to build lineups, whether they're best ball or DFS, as if talented players can overcome the obstacles that are facing them. That would be my biggest um, thing that I would want everyone to uh, consider um, and also attack your biases. Keep attacking your biases because a lot of times we are uh, biases are, are are like putting a blinder on and shine as much light on your biases as you can because you don't want to miss. Every year I miss a couple things and it just always seems to be things that end up blowing up. Um, so that will be my biggest focus in the off season, buddy. How about you? Uh, my biggest focus is to continue diving into showdown, um, theory and how to beat that because my, I had really good on that this year. I had five sweats in, in just throwing three to five lineups in each, uh, primetime showdown, uh, in the biggest contest. So like the 120 to 200,000 entry ones, and five times I ended with the second best roster with only three to five entries. And this last week in week 18 on the uh, the last game of the season of the regular season, I was in first splitting with a single bullet until Mike Evans or uh, Mike Williams. I mean, um, caught that fourth down in overtime. So it was uh, something that I think the, like, Reading through Edge or uh, Xanamir's stuff this off season, um, I came to the realization that like that is probably the format where there still is the greatest edge because I think the the field has now caught up and we've seen the season where like main slate stuff is is much more competitive, harder to have the edge, harder to win. And I think that since Showdown is a newer format. Um, the field is kind of lagging on that. So I'll be hitting that. Oh, I, I, I think hard. that I think that the field finds it frustrating showdown and people humanly tend to avoid things they find frustrating. It's a harder puzzle to crack. So people yeah. avoid it. Yeah. And I think that's exactly it. They're used to just being able to play the top plays and the theory behind DFS is so much deeper rooted that like you have to, you have to be thinking about game environment first and then who benefits from individual potential game environments. So, uh, yeah, I like, I like the format. I'm going to be dumping, uh, diving into that a little bit heavier this off season. I think. So are you looking to replace Zandemir? Oh no, I couldn't do that. He's the king. You're the king of best ball. He's the king of, of showdown, man. I'm teasing. Well, I, I, I don't know that I can claim the crown of king. Um, you know, uh, because I didn't bring, I, I didn't take it home, but um, 
you know, I, I it was very heartening for me in best ball to have a, a, a basically a 30% pass through rate um, with while missing Lenny and Cup. In other words, the, the you know, in other words, my strategy held up. I got certain things right. You know, Debo, John Connor, uh, DeAndre Swift among among them. Um, but to to have a very successful season while missing, you know, two of probably the top three or four guys win rates. You know, when we will look at win rates, Cup's going to have the highest win rate on the year. Yeah. And Fournette isn't going to be that much farther behind him, I would think. And I miss both of them. And I still got a 30% pass-through rate. That's the most encouraging thing about my best ball year. Yeah, for sure. And guess what, man? We got another crack. Playoffs, baby. We should talk this week. I yes. uh, I, I just did a couple of the mittens. And uh, I will I will throw out something for our listeners and for my friend Ilo. Um, the thing that I've noticed with the, uh, underdog contest is it's much, much easier and it makes sense because there's a lot more good teams in the NFC than there is in the AFC. Um, so if you start with a green Bay stack or a Tampa stack, um, you're basically stuck taking pretty crappy stacks from the AFC, right? So what I've been doing is I've been taking Buffalo and Kansas City stacks. And I would say that, the you know, the largest chance, I just don't see Cincinnati getting there. I don't think the Patriots are strong enough. The Titans could do it, but you miss a game with them. I would rather take individual pieces from the Titans um, rather than stack that team. Um, and then if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. So what I do is I start with my AFC stack. I'll take two and then I'll, uh, I'll you know, the other thing is you can't, you, you can't be a slave to ADP in these things. You got to reach. So like today I did Diggs, Josh Allen, reach for Singletary, then took AJ Brown and still was able to get Debo, Kittle, Elijah Mitchell and Ayuk to go with that Buffalo stack. So um, that's my thought. Little bonus content. Um, any thoughts on that, Mark? No, I think that's super sharp. I mean, in the AFC, just like you said, like the Steelers, the Patriots, the Raiders, um, and probably the Bengals, like have a much lower percentage chance of of hitting the Super Bowl than comparable teams from the NFC. Like the NFC, you really can only say that about the Eagles and then maybe the Cardinals, right? Like the 49ers, the Rams, the Cowboys, the Bucks and the Packers, you could all see in the Super Bowl representing the NFC. So I think that's super sharp. All right. Well, that is it. We, um, I wanted to get us over 20 minutes and we went through the week pretty quick. So we threw in a little bonus content. Hey, we, we love you guys. And, um, and, and, you know, hopefully we will see you again next season. I will talk to you later, Mark. It's been a pleasure all year, my dude. Always, always good to talk to you. 